G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we look back on all we've experienced during this year, many of us will reflect on our experiences of grief, pain, anxiety and injustice. And for some, it's been one disaster after another, drought, bushfire, floods and then coronavirus. Well, it's no surprise to us that the Australian Medical Association is predicting a 25 to 50 percent increase in suicides over the next five years due to the effects of coronavirus. With all of these bad things happening, how do we begin to process the reality of our pain with God? Well, in her latest book, Dr. Amy Orr-Ewing offers both a philosophical and a personal perspective to the problem of pain. She addresses the harsh realities of sickness, grief, violence, mental health, and what we can call systemic suffering. She explores how different belief systems deal with the problem of suffering and pain and defines how God, through Christ, offers a unique hope in the reality of hardships. Well, Dr. Amy Orr-Ewing is joining us on the line from the UK, where she's president of OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, and is the senior vice president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Amy, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much for having me on. Amy, our pain is experienced on so many levels and you've got your own story to tell. You were raised in a disadvantaged neighbourhood, you were physically attacked, Uh, you've been working through your own issues of pain in light of losing a friend who left behind husband and three children. Uh, Give us a little insight into your own experience and pain in your life. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so writing this book, Where is God in All the Suffering, has been really um, located not just in, as you said, the kind of question, the philosophical question of how could God be loving and there be this suffering in the world, <clears throat> but also personal experiences of suffering. So whether that was um, growing up, uh, my father was a pastor, so growing up in a context surrounded by and people experiencing extreme poverty and violence, or um, whether it's it's lost, as you said, the death of my father-in-law and of a very close friend, leaving behind three small children, whether it's experiences of um, mental suffering. Um, My husband is a survivor of, of abuse, you know, the ongoing trauma from that. I really wanted to look at um, what does the Christian faith have to say to us in those sort of granular experiences of suffering in this world? And as you said, we're we're also living in a world where um, you know the virus is is taking people out, where the freedoms that we've enjoyed previously have have been curtailed. So, trying to look at the question through that that personal lens. So, sometimes as Christians, I think. Um, 
you know, with, with these kinds of questions, we we make them too small and then we say, look, this is how God solves it. But actually in this book, trying to say, no, the, the problem is real. The question is huge. And in the light of, you know, one's own feelings of anger and grief and loss and um, and physical pain, where is God really in the depths of that question? Well, the very first chapter in your book is called Why? Asking the question. And if we're asking this question, where is God in all the suffering? The first question is why? How do you address that? Yeah, so um, I, I wanted to, to to begin by saying sometimes, you know, religious people or, or sometimes people in churches will say, you just shouldn't ask why. You know, that would be to express doubt in God's goodness, to ask why is this happening to me or why is this happening at all, and um, that that would be that would be a bad thing to do. And what I wanted to do was really to to show how um, the Bible actually says it is okay to ask why, and um, all of us as human beings ask why, and then to ask. Does our way of looking at the world account for why we ask why? See, the Bible describes the world that we all live in, a world in which good people, people who, who love God, do suffer. And so it is okay to ask why. What about other worldviews? Is there a rationale for asking why? Or is this just the way things are and you just have to accept it? Either because, you know, God is, is, is making it all happen to you or just because there is no God and therefore there's really no reason, no meaning to, to our suffering. So, um, so beginning with asking why is really important. And then I also wanted to look at how Within the Christian faith, uniquely, love is the starting place for untangling questions of pain and suffering. So love seems to be the absolute core of why suffering feels like it does. Suffering feels so painful and so wrong because of our love for another person or because of our instinctive sense that we ought to be loved by a God and our feeling that if we're going through all of this awful stuff, maybe we're not. So um, beginning to really interrogate that why question through the lens of love, which again, uniquely the Christian faith positions love at the centre of of truth and reality is, is really important. Asking why in the context of love, and love is the starting point, as you say, for untangling the questions of pain and suffering. And so when we connect love with God and suffering with God, because often we'll call Jesus the suffering servant, this connection, I imagine, is very important in resolving these sorts of issues. Yeah, so um, the, the the central concept of love is is very important in in how the Christian faith um, addresses the question of suffering, partly because of um, explaining how we've got this suffering world that we've got in the first place. So um, we look around us and we, we, we see all of this pain and we, we think, well, how did we get here if God is loving in the first place? And the Bible speaks in the book of Genesis, um, about God creating a good world, a perfect world, in which um, you know He creates animals and He creates um, the, the sea and the land and all of that, and then He makes human beings in His image. 
who creates human beings with the capacity to love and the capacity to choose. And then as the story unfolds at the beginning of Genesis, we see that as human beings, we've used our moral capacity to love and to choose. We've used that for ill. And the woman use their capacity to choose to disobey God. And then we see this sort of cascade of, of consequence of that exercise of moral choice by Adam and Eve. And that is how suffering and pain enter the world. Not because God has made it so, but because we've used our capacity to love and to choose for ill. And so we see that that doesn't just affect ourselves, it doesn't just affect Adam and Eve, their their choices um, impact one another, our choices impact other people, and our choices impact the very fabric of the universe, impact the environment, the thorns and thistles that then come, the suffering that results from living in the physical world that we live in, whether that be forest fires or um, viruses, 98% of which, 98% of viruses are, are, are needed for life on this planet. Only 2% are, are for ill. But we see in that explanation of the fall um, of, of the man and woman, our exercise of moral choice, how our, our connection to the natural world is impacted. And so, you know, even viruses like coronavirus find an explanation there. So we see a context within which love is possible, a context within which choice is possible has brought about um, the wise environment of suffering and pain in this world. As you say, God doesn't leave us there in Jesus. God enters the suffering world and Jesus takes on that title, the suffering servant that was prophesied by Isaiah, that one would come who would carry and bear away our sin, our grief, our sorrow and our suffering and that's ultimately what God does in Jesus. So we're not left alone in our suffering. The God of love who made this world also chooses to experience suffering on our behalf with us and for us in the person of Jesus. Is this something so unique to our Christianity, Amy, because I know you compare what other religions around the world do to try and resolve their issues on pain and suffering. And this is a very strong foundation that we have as Christians. What about others, the Eastern religions and Islam? And uh, you did mention atheism. How do they fit pain and suffering into their worldviews? Yeah, so one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was um, exactly as you say to to explore that because I think sometimes um, Christians feel, oh dear, I hope no one asks me about suffering. You know, we'll be on the back foot. Um, I don't, I won't really know what to say. Perhaps the Christian faith doesn't doesn't really stand up very well. I, I wanted to actually to show and explore um, alternatives to the Christian worldview and actually show how powerful um, what Jesus has to say about suffering is in, in contrast. So if we look at Eastern religions, um, you'll be familiar with the word, I'm sure the listeners will be familiar with the word karma, you know, it's kind of come into to the way we see the world, that, that, that's the idea that you know, what, what goes around comes around and that people basically get what they deserve. And that's either what they deserve in this life or what they deserve morally as a consequence of what they've done in a previous life. So 
when you look at someone who's lost their home to a fire through the lens of karma, basically the conclusion is they deserve it. When you look at someone who's experienced cancer or you know some some sort of terrible physical loss, karma verdict is you must have done something to deserve it. Christian faith very very readily rejects that way of looking at the world, extremely uncompassionate way of looking at the world. You know Jesus was asked when a tower had collapsed and fallen on people and they died. In the gospel, Jesus was asked, you know, whose fault was it? Was it them or, or their parents? Who, who did something to to deserve that? And Jesus said, neither. In other words, when we look at someone in pain and suffering, a Christian does not conclude they must have done something to deserve it. The, the Eastern religion leaves us with that um, confusing and um, harsh taskmaster of karma. Islam looks at the world um, in a different way, saying that God um, is, is uh, it's obviously monotheistic faith, but, but it's saying that, that God is in total, detailed um, control, puppet master pulling all of the strings. It's utterly fatalistic. So um, anything that happens is God's will. That's what that word inshallah means, God's, God's will, God willing. And so when we when when um you look at the world through the framework of an Islamic uh worldview and you see something bad that's happened, the conclusion is that, that God made it happen because everything is God's will. Muhammad was asked about this by by um by his followers and the hadith sort of explore it, that you see um a very, very different uh, portrait of of God and what God's will looks like in the world within Islam. And then obviously within atheism, there's, there's no God and there's just the material world that we see around us. We're just the product of, of biological and chemical processes. And so our bodies are just um, the matter, the physical matter, the stuff, um, the flesh, if you like. And so pain and suffering don't have any meaning beyond the flesh that has been torn or, um, you know, the, 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 the bone that has been broken or bruised. There's no, there's no deeper explanation for the level of pain we might feel. And there's no real explanation as to why we might feel um, pain or outrage at the suffering of others that are not connected to us and that we have no evolutionary predisposition to care about. Um, and so really the Christian faith can actually explain that. Why do I feel um, uh, rage or, or grief or anger at the injustice of others on the other side of the world? Why does it matter to me? The Christian faith says it matters because people are created in the image of God. All life is, is all human life is sacred because God has made it. And the survival of the fittest doesn't, doesn't get us that. It's only the Christian faith that can really explain um, our outrage at the pain and suffering and injustice we see in the world. You mentioned our pain, our outrage, our anger. I'm going to come back in just a short while and we'll unpack a little about whether it's right for us as Christian believers to be angry when it comes to dealing with these issues of pain. Our guest is Dr. Amy Orr-Ewing. She's on the line from the UK, president of OCA.
The Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics and the Senior Vice President of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. We're back with more shortly. Our conversation is about how we might understand the pain and the suffering that all of us have been experiencing this year. A new book is called Where is God in All the Suffering? The author is Dr. Amy Orr Ewing, on the line with us from the UK, where she's president of OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Amy, we mentioned that people can be outraged with the things that are going on, and sometimes we doubt our capacity as Christian believers to even get angry about these things, especially if we're doing those throwaway lines and don't ask why, just have faith. Is it ever right mm. for Christian believers to be angry with pain and suffering? Well, um, you know, as you said, or as, as we were talking about earlier, um, so often in churches we, we sort of have this kind of bland, beige approach to to life and we, we're, we're afraid of, of emotion. But as we read the Bible, um, what we see is that the God who grounds the sacredness um, and love of our lives actually um, is the foundation for a cry for justice himself. And so when we read the Bible, we see that there are whole books of the Bible devoted to crying out for justice in this world. We see songs and, and poems and stories that express um, human pain and loss and articulate that to God. Sometimes, you know, sounding angry and, and outraged, crying out to him in, in prayer that he would end the, the human injustice and suffering. So I really believe that Christian faith actually doesn't shut down um, our rage at the violence and the injustice of the world, it actually explains it. In and other words, human life is not created in the image of God. Why would we care? Why, why would it matter that 27 million people are held in slavery in this, in this world if it doesn't affect us personally? It matters because those lives are precious and they're precious to God. And so anger is good, anger is right. And even in your own experience, where you grew up in southeast London and you came across families that for five generations there'd been unemployment, neglect, illiteracy and poverty and uh, all of those things that you are talking about under what you call systemic suffering. And there's Certainly uh, the need for this anger, but I wonder whether there's enough of this anger in the Christian voice. And I suspect that you're saying we should not hold back. We should be angry about those things. What I'm trying to say is that um, anger in reaction to evil or pain does have a place in the Christian story. And sometimes I wonder whether people look at us as Christians and they wonder why don't we care more about the injustice in the world. And yeah, as we as we look at kind of um, systems of injustice uh, or, or, or systemic pain that people have experienced, and you look back at the early church and how the early church responded to that, yes, with with a cry against the injustice, but also then with love. You see, we're not we're not left kind of boiling away in anger because, in a sense, um, that that rage at injustice 
is is a is a cry of the heart to God. We're not meant to stay there and and actually end up sinning in our anger, but to be motivated by by love for for people, precious people created in the image of God, who who are suffering in this world and. For him, with without God, without um, that vision that their life actually really matters, without that sacredness of of, of the image of God, are are just going to be left in in unjust systems. You draw attention to the Old Testament, the entire book of Exodus, and the experience of the enslaved people in Egypt. And is there here an illustration of the love of God that takes people out of slavery and uh, points them towards a time of hope and moving into a promised land? How much of that is an important aspect for us to understand about getting angry about those uh, systemic injustices? Yeah, so we see um, that the Bible does explore that experience of being caught up in systemic justice. You see it um that in, as you say in Exodus, where and um, the, the 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 depths of the experience of the enslaved person is really fully explored, and it matters to God, it matters to the Creator of the world. And then we we have this um, extraordinary kind of journey out of slavery, and then you see the Old Testament um, prophet Jeremiah speaking about. Um, his people exiled and oppressed by a foreign power. And you see generational oppression explored in in the Psalms as well, Psalm 137, for example. And actually in the ministry of Jesus, you see him beginning with the words of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's saying that he is God, that he's come on this earth to bring justice and mercy and goodness um, for the oppressed. And I think um, in the early church, um, they really lived that out. Christian faith was indistinguishable from practical love for the poor and those who were suffering. And so um, uh, so many people were drawn to the person of Christ because they saw his love demonstrated in practical, in practical ways. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then you see that going on through other justice movements, whether that be Wilberforce, you know, my own country, um, working against slavery and, and, and so on. So I think it's, it's really powerful for us to consider today as we look at, um, as we look at our world and we look, ask, what is the verdict on the church? Where is the church in, in the great struggles for justice that we see in our world today? Amy, you tackle a whole lot of different issues chapter by chapter in your new book. You talk about sickness and your own personal connections with loved ones and with people that you've known who've gone through dreadful times, mental illness. And the issue of violence, you deal with violence. And here, especially, it seems to be that when we apply the love of God, as you were saying, to the choices that we make as people who are created in the image of God and making choices, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but God especially it comes through in forgiveness. Take us into the challenges here because so many listeners may well have experienced this sort of violence and wondered where yeah. God was in all of that. Yeah. So when we ask the question, where is God in the midst of, you know, true horror, 
of violence, whether that be sexual violence or other kinds of extreme violence that we see in the world. It's fascinating to me that the Bible does tell those stories of experience of that kind of violence, and this matters to God. And I really believe that a Christian account, uh, within within the Christian account of the world, um, we do have some explanation as to how this is even possible. We see that the will of the perpetrator of violence is explained and explored. You know, that human capacity um, for choice, which makes love possible, also makes true evil possible. So people do exercise their decision-making capacity for evil rather than for love. And one of the consequences of that is an experience of violence. But with the Bible, we're not just left with an explanation of how that is possible. We're also told of a God who, because he is loving, is also our judge, and that every person who's ever lived will be held to account for how they've lived. The Bible anticipates that many, many perpetrators of evil and violence will actually probably never be on the receiving end of human justice in their own lifetime. But the promise is that they will face the divine judge because we will all be held to account for how we've lived. Now, you know, in the past, I think Christianity was sometimes sort of held, criticized, if you like, for being too judgmental, for threatening people with retribution in the afterlife. But perhaps we've lost sight of the goodness of judgment because we've lost contact with the victims of violence. When we hear the story of a young person abused and raped, when we hear the story of a person caught up in a sort of random um, experience of violence or systematically abused, when we hear that story, our hearts cry out for justice for the person who's experienced evil. And actually that cry for justice is a cry for the goodness of God, that he will set things right, that he will one day not just wipe every tear from our eye, powerful and wonderful and beautiful as that is, but he will actually introduce goodness and um, and, and justice. He is, he is the perfect judge. So every rapist, every war criminal, every domestic bully, every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think um, that means that as the Bible indicates that in some sense we are all victim, but we are also also all perpetrator. We've also all done wrong. We ask ourselves, is there any hope? But for the Christian, the good news is in the person of Jesus, his death on the cross, offering us a way to be forgiven, to be rescued from from that judgment. And then we talk about forgiveness. And sometimes um, someone who's been put through domestic violence or or rape or, you know, they've experienced the murder of a loved a loved one, it can seem like less good news that the perpetrator of that crime can be forgiven. Like there's somehow an equivalence between the sins of an ordinary person and the sins of of, of, of a perpetrator of extreme violence. 
So, Amy, sometimes we think of judgment as being something we should be fearful of. But as a Christian believer, and as you're saying, there's perfect justice. Look at it as the goodness of judgment. When we talk about understanding our pain, Jesus understands our pain because he's endured our pain, even to the point of the cross, even to the point of execution. So... As Christian believers, we recognize that God understands our pain, and that's how we make sense of it. Is that the way we might sum up what we've been talking about? Yeah, I think so. I really do. Um, God's offer of forgiveness through the cross of Jesus doesn't say that something doesn't, that, that the sin doesn't matter. It says that it does matter. It matters so much that, that, um, that Christ, who who is God, endured it all, all the consequences for all of it. He paid the price. God had to die so that it could be paid for the magnitude of the cross of Jesus for every failing, minor or severe is borne by Christ. And so forgiveness is things doesn't didn't really matter that much. It's not minimizing um, the the impact or the scale of the violence or abuse or even of our own sin. It's saying it did matter and it does matter so much to God that he went through it. And so Jesus deals with all of that, all of that anguish, all of that pain, all of that rubbish, all of that dirt. And um, he does that in our place and offers us his life for our life, offers us this overflow of extraordinary love and forgiveness so that we don't need to fear judgment. The goodness of judgment is upheld by the person of Jesus. And so we can bring our pain to him. He's been through it. He's the God who suffered himself and he can then journey with us through our experiences of pain, not in a sort of way of, oh, how sad, but actually in a way that we know he's entered into it so he can really be with us. Well, Dr. Amy Orr Ewing, her latest book is called Where is God in All the Suffering? Not only looking at all of those biblical truth and philosophical ideas about how we understand pain in our context of knowing who God is, but also sharing some of her own personal experiences. Dr. Amy Orr Ewing is president of OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, and she's senior vice president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. So you know you're going to be getting a great book when you get a hold of Where is God in All the Suffering? You'll find it in all the good Christian bookstores. You can Google it. You'll find it on Amazon. It's published by The Good Book Company. And Dr. Amy Orr Ewing, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and to share your heart with listeners here today on 2020. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.